The podcast you're about to listen to was taken from one of our live programs. If you don't already listen to Radio Maria Live, you can do so on DAB in selected regions of the United Kingdom or by downloading the app. Just search for Radio Maria Play. All the Radio Maria podcasts are conveniently stored on this app. We'd like to thank all our listeners who support us with monthly donations so that we can continue to be a Christian voice by your side. To find out more about becoming a monthly supporter, visit www.radiomariaengland.uk. Angelus Domini, Grazia plena Dominus Tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Welcome to the Liturgical Looking Glass, a program that looks at the Church's liturgy for the week ahead and the music that is inspired by it. With me, Tim Hutchinson. And with me, Nick Swarbrick. Uh, we've got a lot to get through today. Um, and first of all, happy feast to those of you that are celebrating either St. Hugh or St. Hilda, or like me, stretching the liturgical rules a little bit by try- trying to celebrate both at the same time. Um, we've got a, uh, an interesting lineup ahead of you. Uh, ahead of us. Um, but I wonder if I could start by sharing what I'm doing this morning, Tim. Yes, please do. Okay, well, I, Friday morning today, I'm privileged to be going to a celebration of the Sacrament of Anointing. And it's some time since I attended one, so I looked up the historical and liturgical details uh, in the Oxford Dictionary of the Christian Church and various other places as well. Um, do you want to start us with a prayer? And then we could maybe hear Jesse Norman and Kathleen Battle singing, There is a Balm in Gilead. And then I'll explain what a balm is. I think that's a, that's a wonderful idea. So okay. I am taking a prayer from the office from this morning, the collect that it ends with, um, just the ordinary office. And here we are. Let's begin. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord God, bestow a full measure of your grace on us who are gathered here in prayer as you work within us to keep us in the path of your commandments. May we receive consolation in this present life and eternal joys in the next. We make our prayer through our Lord. Amen. Amen. So we are going to, as Nick just said, we're going to hear the... um, there is a balm in Gilead, and this version is sung by Jesse Norman and Kathleen Battle.
They're done. There it is. I think Jessie Norman uh, passed away a few years ago. She did. She did. I think that's right. Uh, she's got a very powerful voice. And what I really like is that she manages to combine the uh, European tradition of opera singing with an American and particularly Afro, uh, African-American way of uh, embellishment and intonation. And uh, it's quite a, quite a wonderful thing to hear her singing spirituals like that because she manages to combine two both together. I mean, it took me quite a while to, to, to look, and thank you for finding that version for us. Um, I had a jolly time, if you like, looking through. Mm -hmm. Paul Robeson, who's perhaps done the one that, that's most famous, takes it a lot slower and without any ornamentation. And it really is, I wouldn't say ponderous, but it's meditative. And then at the other end, you've got Nina Simone sat at a piano and singing and doing a Nina Simone to the song, mm -hmm. which in itself you know, is it, wonderful. It has an intimacy to it, which I think is great. But they managed those two just to do it so beautifully. Yeah. And you know, the, the, the orchestration and things behind it do really help. I think it, it brings it um, a vibrancy, which I think is just wonderful. Hmm. I'm not but sure. Thank you for finding that one. Yes, I'm not sure if this is exactly the same version, but there is one uh, that you can find on the internet a, a video recording of the two of them singing it. And they have a lovely little kind of interaction between the two of them, which is, is quite nice to, to see. You wanted to tell us about the, the, why this text is significant. It's from Jeremiah, isn't it? It's from Jeremiah chapter 22. 
and the line originally said he hastily pulling it up um is is there no balm in gilead is there no physician there why then is there no healing for the wounds of my people um the idea that there ought to be a way of the people of israel finding healing mm. without uh, you know going uh, all over the place and scattering themselves and dispersing themselves and for those that are thinking i think of the, the anointing of the sick it's not a bad way of looking it's not saying that you shouldn't be seeking you know help from your doctors and things like that it's just saying there is a core in your life which is itself a place of healing for god and i think that that's a that's a wonderful message to take from from uh, the, the hebrew bible prophets and i think that's that in itself is wonderful um i also also spent a far too long actually um, the, the other day looking up what balm was and got into got into areas where I had to ask my botanist, botanist wife Maggie to actually help me uh, um, <laughs> decipher what's going on. But basically, it is an aromatic plant. The the actual you know, is disputed as to, to to which it is, or in fact whether the Hebrew words are referring to two different plants or one way beyond my expertise there but the idea was that this healing plant would uh, either have an oil in itself or scent ordinary olive oil to make a special oil with healing properties mm -hmm. and that means that this sacrament of anointing that we're, we're thinking about here actually goes back and back and back mm. we've got this notion of this being an actually medicinal thing to do, which is coming from, uh, which is part of um, Jeremiah's metaphor here. But then, of course, it becomes the sacrament. Um, uh, it becomes the sacrament that James mentions as people being anointed, uh, uh, sick people being anointed. Already, we're into the the first days of Christian sacramental development, yeah. and again, that's 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 something that needs to be celebrated. But then, of course, we get the big change, first of all, in the in about the 6th or 7th century, I think, where it becomes less and less an expectation that there will be healing and more that there will be spiritual strengthening, and particularly that will be spiritual strengthening as somebody approaches death. The reforms of the 1960s have moved it back from being a, a right at death Though I did point out when when uh, Father Toby was talking about uh, what we were doing today, I did point out on Facebook this morning that it's quite interesting that Saint Hilda, whose feast day it is today, died having received the sacraments, having received the viaticum, the the you know, the um, the traveller's bread, the traveller's um, dole, and I think. There's something there about why the sacrament has had throughout its life a long connection with the last hours of somebody's life. Mm. But the reform has quite clearly seen it as we should believe in the healing power of God, however that healing might uh, exhibit itself, mm. however the Holy Spirit chooses to work. So we've got all sorts of reasons why we might anoint somebody. We saw another one at the coronation, didn't we? Yeah. Where, where the, well, we didn't see it, of course, because it would seem to be so intimate <laughs> that we could we couldn't see. We had to look at those nice nice screens instead. But you know, the anointing of kings, the anointing of priests, the anointing of anybody for the priesthood, goes back to the notion that Jesus is the anointed one. Is Jesus? Jesus is God's anointed. Whether that means, like I suspect, the um, 
the expectation of Zechariah in the in the Benedictus is that we've got we finally got a freedom fighter on our side, or whether in fact we think of the Messiah as more Pauline, and that his that Jesus' mission was much more to do with the healing of the rifts in society, the the bringing about the end of all things. You know, those are you know those are big theological discussions, but nevertheless they have within them that strand of anointing. Then we come back to what we've got here, and I was amazed to find that the first Book of Common Prayer, which in some ways is the the more ritualized version of uh, what we now have as the Book of Common Prayer in the Church of England, uh, included a rite of anointing of the sick if the sick person desires. It strikes me that that meant that throughout the, the changes of the 16th century, people were still saying, and do I get anointed mm. when the priest, when the when when the minister came to see them? There was a sort of call for it, and it has now been restored in the Anglican Church as well, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, although I'm reading that quite clearly straight off the Oxford Dictionary of the Christian Church. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's just such a powerful thing. And then you get a piece of music like that because I suppose it has been an intimate and not particularly celebrated in church sacrament it hasn't got much music attached to it within within the western catholic liturgy something like there is a balm in gilead draws on scripture it draws on the protestant uh, tradition of hymn singing but gives us something that i think is very close to the the, the heart of the heart of that sacrament yeah and, and, I could go on for ages about it. I've spent the whole week sort of look, looking at this, and I just, I, I just love it. But I suppose it's time to go on and uh, yeah. Uh, if before I've you do enough though, on what is involved. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Is um, I've, I've seen the sacrament of the sick administered, and um, in in I won't go into the details of it now, but I find it one of the most profound sacraments. I, I, my experience of it is that it is like a. It can be a life-changing experience, and I, I heard someone once explain a dimension of it. A priest explained a dimension of it that I'd never heard before, and and he said that it was for the uh, the settling of a conscience. So if one's conscience is is deeply troubled, the sacrament of the sick can can heal that, and I I found that absolutely. Uh, astonishing! I'd never heard that before in my life, and and I've seen it at work. It's it's a, a really amazing thing. So yes, if you, uh, I actually think I'm going to bring this up in questions of faith because I think it's a very interesting um, thing for us to to continue talking about. But uh, like you said, we could carry on all day, and and we need to to move on. So let's do that. Well, I mean, the the next piece that we've got in front of us, in some ways, um, links very very well with this. Yes. Um, I, I looked for the for for chant for for this Sunday, and came across the the communion in, uh, antiphon. Amen. I say to you, whatsoever you ask in prayer, believe that you will receive, and it will be given to you. And uh, we've got the Dominicans singing it here, so it's slightly more ornate than the Roman text as uh, as often. But it's it's a lovely piece. Um, so it is Amen Dico Vobis, and it's it's. Um, absolutely gorgeous. Just listen to this simple, simple version of a rather ornate, uh, ornate chant.
love the going from the one voice to the other voice and then the unison it's really lovely how they've put that together very simple as well it's very simple and they've done very well to choose the brothers who've got contrasting voices but still work together yeah um i, I think you know it, it's a lovely piece i do like the idea of the psalm being sung at communion it's one of those things that allows the communion antiphon its due weight and i do worry sometimes you know i go to you go to an uh, a mass in a, a parish perhaps that you don't know and you find the introit isn't said and the communion antiphon isn't mm. said and they are beautiful pieces of scriptural text that are being presented to us <laughs> as part of the prophetic voice of the church i'll go on i'll stop again i'm going off on one again or, but they are beautiful and those you know using the psalm like that i think is, is a beautiful way of keeping the antiphon in our minds if nothing else the thing that cracks me up and i mean now i'm going to rant a little bit but when <laughs> when the priest says communion antiphon and then says it and mm. for me it's like saying greeting hello <laughs> <laughs> yes yes there is like, that no you don't have to tell us it's a communion antiphon just say it <laughs> but I, I am of an age tim to remember when um the responsorial psalm was very often introduced by someone saying the response to the psalm is which is fine and then at the end of the first verse they'd say response Right. And then everyone would do that. And it, it, I heard someone do it the other day. And it was a blast in the past. But we were so unused to those notions of, of, of these things being out loud. Yeah. They, were, they were part of the, the idea that was you know, enshrined in the Vatican II reforms, that there should be a commentator somewhere knocking around in the church telling people what was going on. But yes, I do know what you mean. Communion antiphon. It's almost like someone you know, picking up the phone and saying, answering the phone. Um, <laughs> Anyways, those priests who do it, we still love you. Don't worry. We still love you. And the mass is the mass is the mass. Indeed. The biggest message. All right. So while we're thinking about um, uh, liturgical interventions that may ra raise some eyebrows, let's have some hilly hillbilly Thomists, shall we? I you, thank you so much for introducing me to these people, Tim. I think they're absolutely brilliant. This follows the same theme. We're going to listen to our help in, is in the name of the Lord, uh, sung by the hillbilly Thomists, and it's it's. It's great. It's fun. Do you want me to say one? <laughs> it's fun, I said. <laughs> it is fun. It is fun and it's light and the message is absolutely on point liturgically and um, scripturally, if we can divide the two.
is in the name of the lord i wish we were on television because the way you were nodding along to that music was, <laughs> was a joy to behold it really was Tim. it's great well yeah there's no catholic tv in in england that i'm aware of but we could always uh if they were we could um we could punt this show to them i'm sure but can you imagine the marathon we'd need to get that going <laughs> <laughs> So, have you heard their song uh, "Bourbon Bluegrass and the Bible"? No. Oh, Is that something that goes in for next week? <laughs> perhaps, yeah. That's pretty good. I I quite like it. There's a um, one of our faithful listeners, Maria. She's mm, I can't. I'm not going to try and guess her age because she'll she'll probably be really upset with me. But she just made her first Holy Communion, so that will give you an idea of how old she is yep. um it's one of her favorite songs so we'll have to do a shout out to her if we, we will if that's we a great idea and um there was something else i was going to say about well when we were talking about uh sort of announcing responses one of the images that came to mind was it's a little bit like a like the caller at a barn dance and then that song played so yes um, that would have been a good link it would have been a great link. But <laughs> I will, I'm now stuck with the hillbilly Tony's dancing as well as playing and singing. That's great. Yeah. I defy you to to dance along to this next piece, though. This is um, <laughs> if we're thinking about the idea of trust in prayer. Um, I think this is the greatest English choral work. 
Right. Full stop. Okay. I, um, uh, I'm not saying British because I'm not sure that Robert Carver doesn't have the edge in his Obone Yesu, but this is a, a magnificent piece. If anybody hasn't guessed yet, we're going to listen to Talis's Spem in Allium. Uh, who have we got uh, singing this, Tim? The Talis Scholars and wow. Peter Phillips. So, yes, let's have a listen to that.
Hope in any other have I none. Isn't it wonderful? It's really uh, wonderful, yes. Uh, so much going on in that. So so many things rising and falling, and then you feel like there's something in the foreground and something in the background. And yes. yeah, I feel like I need to listen to it a number of times. And well, eight, um, eight choirs of five voices is a really immersive experience. Wow. Uh, um, in fact, having said that, there was a. Uh, it was used as an installation piece in um, the in New York at one point, where they had each person recorded individually and speakers around a sort of a quasi chapel space, and you could walk around and listen to each bit as you heard it. And mm. you know, perhaps if did if people did process in this you know if it was queen elizabeth coming in for her 40th birthday and this is what greeted her it's a clear message to her it's a it's an act of it's a message of humility to the monarch but it's also an amazing piece to say you know there's that's some happy birthday song it really is um, <laughs> yeah i hadn't thought of it in that in that sense uh, no, <laughs> there's me just trivialising one of the great, the greatest pieces of music ever for my for my liking. Let's move on. Let's move on to uh, the 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 thing that we've promised for November, which is that we will at least have some music from the liturgies of the dead. But I'd like us to listen to Durufle version because his version is um, always based in, in in his requiem on the chant set for the day in uh, in in the chant box. So what I thought we could do is listen to the chant Sanctus, traditionally sung at Masses for the Dead. It's also the one that um, the new translation of the Mass draws on as inspiration for, for its English chant. Um, you had something sneaky up your, <laughs> up your sleeve at this point. Ken. Something sneaky. Oh, <laughs> so the... Um... That's actually a good uh, a good idiom to use, seeing as the way that we're going to to decide upon this is is uh, going to draw on something in our sleeves. The uh, so we were going to play the Sanctus, but as I do not have a recording for it, and it's very simple to sing, I think one of us should sing it. And I was going to say, let's flip a coin. But I don't have a coin on me, and neither do you. So let's rock, paper, scissors for okay. it. Are you ready? Are we going to do best uh, of three? Uh, okay, then. Okay. <laughs> rock. One, two, two three. three. Oh, you need to be in the camera. Thank you. Okay, Okay, so there we go. That was so, a tie. Right, okay, I wasn't shooting. Okay. One, One two, two, three. Three. Oh, you got me. Oh. Okay, okay, so that, I've got one. That was rock for Nick, scissors for me. One, two, two three. three. Ah, <laughs> we're still. Ty, okay, one more. Okay. One, one two, two, three. three. Oh my gosh, Ty again. Okay, last one. <laughs> we're not doing very well at this. We are far too in tune. Right. Okay. One, one, two, two three. three. Ah, beat you. So, so your decision, am I singing okay. or are you singing? I'm singing. That was what we were fighting Okay, for. fair enough. Off you go. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaoth, plenis uncelli etera gloria tua, Hosanna in excelsis, benedictus qui venit in nomine domini. Hosanna in excelsis. 
Thank you, Tim. That was brilliant. <laughs> now, the reason why brilliant. we didn't do it at the same time is because when you're not in the same room and you're on a uh, video call, it's actually very difficult to, to sing at the same time. Um, impossible, actually, because it's not perfectly synced. But there we go. That's fine. Let's hear Let's hear at least a bit of Guru Flay. Yeah. Um, it would be, be nice to hear. And listen out for that melody as it goes through. I'm a bit speechless, I must say. Well, I think it's, a, it's an amazing piece of music, isn't it? Mm. I didn't actually listen to it before this this broadcast, so that that was the first time I'm hearing it. Thank oh, you so wow. much. Yeah, lovely. But it, it's, for me, the Durufle Requiem 
is bitter than the for, the, than the foray. Um, although I have fond mom, memories of the foray, in that it was sung quite by chance. My mum died on the uh, the night of the second to the third of November, and uh, so therefore there's always a good requiem to go to, if you like, for her anniversary. And her first anniversary, her year's mind. Um, was the Fori Requiem. So I have very fond memories of it, but musically and liturgically, I think that the, the, the Durufle has it. He wasn't, uh, people weren't best pleased when it first came out. He, I think he was called the Gregorianizer, as if this was, this was a bad thing for me. That would be a kind of plus, but I think it was meant to be a criticism of him at, at the time. Um, but it, I, I love it. My only other I suppose really favourite Sanctus is Vaughan Williams's one in the Mass in G minor, but that's because I knew a priest who uh, used to try and avoid being at choral liturgies um, uh, or celebrant at choral liturgies because it made him cry too much. Oh wow! Uh, I just that that is an astonishing piece that maybe we we hear at some point again. But in any case, I promised you that we'd have something to do with St Hugh and something to do with St Hilda, and. Um, I've stretched it a bit, I'm afraid, as, as you, you know from the playlist. Um, it was very difficult to find anything that um, was immediately accessible mm -hmm. for St. Hilda. Um, there, are, there are pieces of music. There is even um, a brass band from the 1930s and a very, very scratchy recording that makes the, the, the nuns at Juke sound positively sort of anodyne or, or, or antiseptic. But there's a, from the St Hilda's Colliery Band. But they were South Shields anyway, so they didn't count as Yorkshire. So in the end, I chose a monastery in Yorkshire, which I think is possibly a cheat. But what we've got here is um, Ampleforth singing the reading from Sunday Vespers and then a responsory after it. And, you know, we can discuss this, the, the notion of sung readings, if you like. This one, I think, works particularly well. Um, the reading is from 2 Corinthians, which is also one of the texts for the anointing of the sick. Um, which we, we, I only realised this morning when I, was, when I was checking what we were doing this uh, a bit later today. But there is the singing of that, that notion of God, the God of all consolation. Anyway, here they are doing a, a brief piece from their own um, uh, album, Vision of Peace, which comes from um, their, Sunday, their Sunday Vespers, uh, the, the reading, and then uh, the responsorial, uh, which is, I will bless the Lord at all times, his praise always on my lips. Before the night of
So apologies there, everybody. <laughs> I've given Tim the wrong the wrong link to the wrong track on that rather lovely album from Ampleforth. Try then have to search and find. And, anyways, <laughs> it's fine. It doesn't matter. Um, but that, that is a really lovely piece. But it's funny because when you were describing it, I was sitting here going, I think that we've got the wrong one, but I'm just going to play it anyways. Um, it was entirely my fault, but at least it was still fulfilling my brief. It was music from a monastery in Yorkshire, yeah. and that was the the, the setting of the Te Luci Sante Terminum, the, the hymn for Compline, uh, with, with a different song reading after it. Uh, I'm glad we got to hear that, actually. I, I, I do like that as a hymn. So and, that, uh, that melody, is that a an old Gregorian melody? Duh. No, because it's in it, that's in common metre rather than long metre. So it would need to go, Te luces ante terminum vrerum creator poshimos, ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba, and it doesn't. It goes, before the light of evening fades, we pray, O Lord of all. The, 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 there's, two, there's two stresses missing from that for it to okay. be... To, it to be the Gregorian, the Gregorian one, but those those uh, settings do work very well. I think, yeah. as if they're capturing the Gregorian spirit. Um, yes, and, no, I'd uh, say exactly that. And I, I use this one. I found it first with the monks of Glenstall Abbey, and then when I was putting together a compline for Catholic young adults here in Cambridge, I asked them if I could use it, thinking that they'd actually written it themselves. Ah. It seems like it's it's a fairly common one, but it's really lovely. And they have a, a really nice, I can sing it for you if you want, the um, a really nice text that they Go for it. You're yeah. in a singing so. mood. We've got time. Let's hear it. <laughs> All right, let's go. Um, As shadows fall and daylight dies, renew your gift of peace. Be with us as we close our eyes. Let all our troubles cease. Though we may sleep, stay in our hearts, keep your love there ablaze. When darkness of the night departs, we'll rise to sing your praise. Watch over us that as we sleep, our purpose stay aflame. Let angels all night vigil keep to guard us in your name. To you be glory, God of rest, and glory to your Son. To you be glory, Spirit blessed, the Holy Three in One. Amen. Lovely. Those are nice words. I like Hi. those. And I like the way that the angels come in there, which, of course, are part of the traditional final collect for, for Compline. Mm -hmm. The idea of, you know, the angels coming and dwelling in your house to keep us in peace. And there they were you know, anticipated in that hymn. That was a lovely one. Thank you very much indeed. I'll, I'll include the the... The words for that in the show notes of the podcast if anybody Lovely. wants to see them and i did ask permission of glenn stoll for good reason because i know that they actually did write those those words yeah. and yeah. they are the first time i heard it i thought to myself i have to have to get a copy of this i have to keep it because um, it's wonderful i think that that part at the end where it says to you be glory god of rest yes oh, wonderful it is. Yeah. Did you ever read a book very popular in the 1970s called Mr. God, This is Anna? Uh, it's a very, very curious book about a, a, a child who has more insight than most children would, would have and most adults would have. And that's the whole point. She's wiser than My the adults. My sister loves that curious. book. I never, I've yeah. never read it. But uh, I, I mean, the, I saw a recent edition with a, I think it had a forward or at least a, a comment on the back by um, 
Rowan Williams. So yeah. it comes highly recommended. Yeah, it, it does. It's a beautiful book, a simple, easy read at one level. And another, there are phrases that stay with you. And very often on, on, on a Sunday, I'll think of the, the little bit of dialogue they have at one point. What did God make on Sunday? Or God made rest on Sunday. <laughs> and I think that's, it didn't just stop working. He made rest. Yeah. I think it's a beautiful image. I, re I really do like that. Um, and you know, we've got that idea going on here, whereas the original Te Lucis Ante Terminum is very much a prayer of protection. Um, and I, I, I often think, not wanting to get too sort of M.R. James on the subject, this is the last time that there is going to be uh, any degree of communal light in a in a monastery of about the 10th century mm. you know they, they will be together for compline and then they are going to have little lights in dark places until well until uh, uh, until after lords until after the praise service at dawn and mm -hmm. um, everything else will be done by little lights and little candles and Perhaps it was meant to comfort as well as tell people about the, the more obvious protections against temptation. I don't know, but it, it's, it's, it's a lovely piece. But I do like that Glenstall one. I think that's that's yeah. absolutely gorgeous. I'm chuckling here because in at Mount St. Bernard Abbey when I was there, they, we, we had floodlights above <laughs> us in, in the monastery, you know, for both for Compline and for vigils. And, and I remember bringing it up in a community meeting once and saying, can we please change the lights? <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen the film um, Of Gods and Men? Did you? Yes, on? of course. Um, Several I times. was going to say, compulsory <laughs> viewing, I'm sure. But, but what I liked about that was the unflinching use of little lights. And it said something strongly to me about lighting in a, in a developing country to start mm. off with. But also the idea that they aren't living in this sort of soupy monastery with, with you know, beautiful shadows hanging around. They've got light bulbs hanging from the ceiling mm. and they, they, you know, they do what they can with them. And sometimes, you know, the aesthetics of these things are absolutely gorgeous. But at other times, the lack of aesthetics themselves probably something that Bernard himself would have thought of, you know, pushes you back to the text, pushes back, pushes you back to the reason that you're there, yeah. rather than the sort of grand Cluniac version of, you know, doesn't this look fantastic? Yeah. Which, you know, what, what those those four great abbots that to a certain extent you know, precede or, or are contemporary with Bernard and the rise of the Cistercians, you know, give us, they give us, they give spectacle to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. Whereas for Bernard, it's not about the spectacle, it's about the interiorization. And it's from that interiorization we get beautiful hymns like the, the Jesu Dulcis Memoria, which is, you know, is, a, is an absolute glory. So we're not going to end with a, a Cistercian piece, but something not so far away from it either. Tell us a little bit <laughs> about this. Okay, well, I promised that we'd have something for St. Hilda, and we sort of did. And here's something from St. Hugh that I think really we do have. Um, you mentioned the idea of going to a church or going, going to a, an office and then saying, I must have a copy of that. I think we have the, the edge of that in the Carthusian Salve Regina, which is different. It is different, and I'm sure that generations of, of the Carthusian brethren pondering the words for this have given it a richness which is, you know, undeniable. I'm not denying that at all. 
that. I can't help wondering whether somebody learnt it somewhere and brought it in, in, in their heads and then wrote it down. And there are bits missing. There are emphases that are slightly different. The music is ever so slightly different. But I also suspect that this is a very, very early version of the solemn tone of the Salve Regina. It's possible, therefore, that St. Hugh of Lincoln, when he was prior at, at, um, at Witham in, uh, in what's now Essex, um, actually sang this tune. And I think that this is a, a beautiful piece because of it. It's the very simple and uh, much cut down, I'll explain why later, um, much cut down Carthusian Salve Regina. The text is slightly different. She is the Regina Misericordiae rather than Regina Mater Misericordiae, mm. the Queen of Mercy. She is the sweetness of life rather than sweetness and life. Um, it's got little bits that are different, and I think it's worth listening to anyway. But it is the Carthusians. They are not necessarily known for their choral expertise. There we go. There we go. 
Well, we're almost out of time, but I promised I'd tell you a joke before we end. Tell, tell us the joke, and I will say, I will promise that we will look at St. Cecilia next week. We should always be looking at the week ahead, and we've ended up looking at the week behind. But pray for us and whatever we call our ministry on this programme and on uh, lots of Radio Maria. It's St. Cecilia's Day on Wednesday, and we mustn't Aww. forget it. <laughs> so, tell uh, us the joke then, Tim. Yeah, well, I'm very surprised that Nick hadn't heard this joke, so I'm, I'm going to tell it as quickly as I can. So, two Jesuits... Um, want to know if it's okay to smoke and pray at the same time. So they both go to the superior and ask him the question at different times. They come back. The Jesuit number one is rather downcast. Jesuit number two is overjoyed. So number two says to number one, well, what's wrong? And he, and he says, well, you know, superior said I couldn't. And he said, what? So he said, I could. And then so um, number two says to number one again, how did you ask him? And he said, well, I said to him, is it okay to smoke while I'm praying? And he said, oh, you asked him the wrong way. What I said was, is it, should I pray while I'm smoking? And the <laughs> superior said, absolutely, you should always pray while you smoke. <laughs> oh, that is brilliant. That is wonderful. Uh, and thank think, you so much for I that. I think there's a moral in that. I think we should always bring um, God into what we do, but not always bring what we do into um, God. into God and into the liturgy. <laughs> so there you go. That's a little um, little anecdote from us. This has been wonderful. This is the liturgical looking glass. I mean, it's been wonderful to be with you. I hope it has been wonderful. Um, and we shall be with you again next week. And this is available as a podcast. So from me, Tim Hutchinson. And from me, Nick Swarbrick. Goodbye. God bless. We'll God see bless. you next week. All being well. Angelus Domini, nuncia vit Maria. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu. Benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus.